one of the benefits of growing up Gadini was a father who was intentional with certain aspects of growing up and a father who would take poignant life experiences and use them as teaching moments. Putting this sermon and message together, I was thinking of which one do I choose from to share with you. I'm 12 years old. And uh, you need to know, my family, my, all my grandparents immigrated. My mom's side from Sicily, my dad's side from northern Italy. And on my dad's side, they immigrated uh, about 100 miles north and, and ended up in a town called Hillsburg, California. Uh, and they bought land, lots of land. Back then it was prunes. Uh, and they got converted over time to grapes because there was more money to be made with the grapes. My father grew up on this land and uh, had such rich experience in his childhood. This land was sacred to my father. And so he thought every one of his sons should have the opportunity he had to go work the land in the summers. So I'm 12 years old and I'm not happy with this thought. (laughs) And there I am at Uncle Frank's Vineyard and getting up early, staying up till late, moving aluminum pipes so that these vines could get watered. And word gets back to my dad that 12-year-old Gary's complaining and not having a good week. So dad, after work in Oakland, drives up to Hillsburg and unexpectedly shows up. Now when my father showed up unexpectedly, it usually wasn't good news. So he pulled me from the table and he said, come on, let's go take a walk. And we walked the vineyards. And dad told me stories of growing up and he told me what this land meant to him and what the vines meant to him. And then we stopped at some point in the vineyards, I can see it now, and my dad said, what do you see? I said, I I don't know. He wouldn't let me get away with that. What do you see? I said, Dad, I I see my friends back home, and I'm up here alone. I see myself working hard. I'm tired. I'm dirty. I'm not having fun. He stopped me, and he said, in essence, let me tell you what I see, Gary. He said, I see wine on tables across America. I see laughter over those tables as wine is poured from these very grapes that you're moving pipes to water. I see your cousins having a college education, something your Uncle Frank and Auntie Della, and frankly, something that I never had the opportunity to have because of these grapes. I see your cousins getting an experience that their father and mother never, never had. And I see memories being forged into your life that will stay with you the rest of your life. That was prophetic, because 40 years later, I now look back at those weeks with fond memories of walking the vines. The wisdom of a father to continually place a vision before his son that he was blind to. It happened to me in high school. It happened to me in college. It happened to me in my young adult years. What do you see, Gary? I want you to take a moment and look around this room right now. I mean, really, look around this room. And let me ask you the question, what do you see? And it's not rhetorical. Tell me what you see. Beautiful people. Family, Family, I love that. Love. Love, I love that. And faith. Community, faith. Pain. Pain. Wait, 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 hold on to that thought. I want to get there. Don't miss what just, we'll talk about this too. Pain. Pain. Okay. Messengers. Messengers. I see people striving 
working hard, the most beautiful people, in my opinion, in the world. Hebrews 11 says the world was not worthy of them. And I see rejoicing on the behalf of the community. You made it. God's grace has sustained you. And yeah, there's blow-its. Yeah, we have all have regrets from the last week or last year or whatever. But we're here. And more importantly, I see Jesus here. We've worshipped him. There's so much more than meets the eye. And we're always often blind to that. Jesus came to heal that. In his inaugural sermon, he went to a synagogue way up north in Israel. He was given the scroll and he intentionally turned it to a place in Isaiah that said about the Messiah, I've come to give sight to the blind. What does that mean? I want to take you to one of my um, most riveting moments in theater and movies. This is a movie called Amazing Grace, and it's historical fiction, but it's about the real life of, um, of William Wilberforce. He was an 18th century emancipator. He was the human agent that God used in England to stop the transatlantic slave trade. Now the backstory that history tells us that I'm going to bring you into in this uh, is that Wilberforce came to Christ early in his political career. He was in his 20s when he was voted into parliament and he, he wrestled because he wanted to serve Christ so badly and he thought, how can I do that as a politician? The scene we're about to see is when he goes to visit uh, a well-known uh, spiritual mentor, John Newton. That may, may mean nothing to you, but John Newton wrote the hymn Amazing Grace. And John Newton was a slave trader till he came to Christ and had a complete turnaround. Uh, as he goes to see John Newton, uh, history tells us Newton is late in his life. And the irony of this is Newton is blind late in his life. And he's mentoring Wilberforce, in essence, saying to him, what do you see? And Wilberforce says, I want to go into ministry. And John Newton, you won't see it in the film, but says to him, uh, you are in ministry. God has raised you up for such a time as this to be the human agent to abolish this atrocity from our country. Uh, what you'll see here is Newton uh, is giving him fodder for his political campaign and showing him the records of the slave trade. Watch this as the mentor says to the mentee, what do you see? Watch this. This is my confession. You must use it. Names, ship's records, ports, people, everything I remember is in here. Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I'm a great sinner and Christ is a great saviour. You must publish it. Blow a hole in their boat with it. Damn them with it. I wish I could remember all their names. My 20,000 ghosts, they all have names. Beautiful African names. We call them with just grunts, noises. We were apes. They were humans. I couldn't wait till I wrote this. 
I once was blind, but now I see. Didn't I write that too? Yes, you did. Well, now at last it's true. Now go, Willoka. We've lots of work to do, you and I. He's quoting probably one of the most poignant lines in the most famous hymn, Amazing Grace, I once was blind, but now I see. History tells us that interaction fueled Wilberforce because he gave him a vision he was blind to. And 20 years later, Wilberforce, through his 20 years of political campaigning, through him, slave trading was abolished 20 years from that moment. And then, 33 years after that, 53 years after that moment, slavery was abolished in England forever. Three days before Wilberforce died. Do you see the power of vision, of spiritual vision? How is your spiritual vision? John 9 is all about that. Open to John chapter 9, grab your message notes, and let's learn from three groups of people around spiritual vision. Let's meet the disciples first, okay? Let's meet the disciples. The context, Jesus is leaving the temple. We left him there last week. The Feast of Tabernacles, if you were here last week. The feast is over. The festivities are over. Jesus is walking out of Jerusalem. And Jesus intentionally comes across a blind man. Remember with Jesus, the medium is the message. He will uh, do things with his life to point to how amazing he is. And in this case, he'll heal the blind to show he came to heal spiritual blindness. Okay, let's look at this. Uh, John 9, 1 to 2. And the reason I camp out first with the disciples is because I have found when suffering comes into our lives or a life script is handed to us that we didn't plan for, a question most often raises up. Why? Why is this happening? You'll see the disciples ask that very question and we're going to get Jesus' answer on this. We're going to see what we're usually blind to when pain and suffering comes. Verse 1, you ready? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, congenital blindness. This man is never seen. He has no way of making an income. His only source of life is the benevolence of others. His disciples don't see what Jesus sees. Jesus sees a real image bearer. The disciples see a case study. Rabbi, who sinned? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. It might be good to know that in the teaching of the day from the rabbis, if you had a physical deformity or some other life experience that happened to you, you'll see another opportunity or case study of that, if you will, in Luke 13, if you're taking notes, verse 1 to 5, a tower fell on people, and the disciples asked the same question. The rabbis taught this. One of two things are going on here. Either the parents sinned, uh, they take a verse out of context. I think we have it up here from Numbers, the book of Numbers, this Old Testament book, uh, that the Lord punishes the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. The rabbis taught, this man's blind, his parents must have sinned. And God is punishing him for their sin. Or they taught that you sinned in utero. Uh, they took another verse, it's not up here, but again, if you're taking notes, in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, verse 7, the verse says, sin is crouching at the door. It wants to capture you. And the rabbis taught that was the door of the womb. And that if you sinned in utero, 
you would be punished and come out deformed somehow for your whole life. Pretty sick, isn't it? Sadly, uh, the disciples see this man and go, who sinned? And look at Jesus' response in verse 3. This is important. Neither this man or his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened, this is important everybody, so the works of God might be displayed in him. This happened so God would be glorified. God is at work. Even in this suffering, God is at work. Some of you are here today and the life script you've been handed isn't the life script you would have hoped for. Whether it's relationally and you find yourself in a relationship you don't want to be in or the relationship has drifted somewhere where you don't want it to be or you're outside of a relationship and you long to be. Whether it's physically, whether you have a challenge physically or a diagnosis and you're saying, God, why? Can I remind you that the goal of God is not a happy, clappy life all through life. Following Jesus doesn't guarantee that. Listen to me, everybody. Look right here. That's heaven. That longing is your longing for heaven. We're on earth where sin is real, where the bullets are real, and no one comes out pain-free. But what you need to know in this is what God sees, even in your challenge relationally, your challenge with your career, your challenge physically, what God sees is this. I'm greater than that. And I'm going to work through that. For my glory. God's at work. God's at work. That's what he sees. It's the first aspect of spiritual vision. When you see pain, you see suffering in your own life, you have to take by faith, God is at work. Okay? Now, let's learn from the Pharisees. At this point, um, what's sad to me in John 9, everybody, I've read it through multiple times, and, and just get this feeling with me. No one's excited that this guy gets healed. I, I, can't even, I can't even fathom this religious community. Uh, this man can see for the first time a sunset. He can see his hands for the first time. He can see the beauty of a face and hair or lack of hair for the first time, right? And no one's excited. His neighbors aren't excited. The disciples aren't excited. The Pharisees aren't excited. You ready for this? Because of the religious culture of guilt and shame that the Pharisees created, his parents aren't even excited, and they distance themselves from him. The only one that's excited is Jesus. Why? Because they were spiritually blind. Turn to page two, and let's learn about spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness. What is spiritual blindness? I define it at the bottom of page two. For us all, because I want us to work from the, this definition. Here's what Jesus taught, and you'll find this throughout the whole Bible. It's a spiritually skewed perception of reality, spiritual blindness. The spiritual condition of people who are either unable or unwilling to perceive divine revelation. What we're skewed to when you're spiritually blind is you're skewed to the grace of God and you're skewed to the results of your sin. And both have devastating results. You miss out on the life God has called you to. The reality of grace and the reality of sin. And the sad thing is these Pharisees who were the shepherds God appointed were blind guides. They were the blind men bluffing throughout history. Jesus called them blind guides. Let me give you a, an illustration of spiritual blindness. I was in a meeting yesterday right, uh, right on the edge of the Tenderloin District in San Francisco. 
Uh, this beautiful gathering of pastors, it was, it was really great. When you think of the tenderloin, what do you think of? How do you define the tenderloin, right? Uh, here's how the San Francisco Chronicle defines the tenderloin. The worst neighborhood in San Francisco. In the tenderloin are loads of drug dealers, addicts, prostitutes, mentally unstable street people. The streets are unclean and you will be approached frequently by strangers. It's a magnet for drugs, prostitution, homelessness, and indiscriminate violence. Now, is that the tenderloin? There's some truth to that. But that's a very myopic view of the tenderloin. I was there to hear, among other people, this 30-something-year-old kid who grew up in the Tenderloin and leads a ministry there called City Impact. City Impact has a university in the Tenderloin. They have a health center in the Tenderloin. They are adopting buildings in the Tenderloin and, and reclaiming them for the kingdom of God. They have a businesses coming out of the Tenderloin with people who've met Christ and have been freed from their drug addiction. Uh, there's amazing things happening there. Here's how this 30-something-year-old, Christian Hong is his name, uh, how he defines the Tenderloin. Located in the heart of San Francisco, the Tenderloin District possesses a unique set of challenges in our already unique city. Our neighborhood is full of brokenness. See, seeing with spiritual vision doesn't deny the pain. But it doesn't let the vision stop with the pain. And it doesn't define itself by the pain. Do you understand what I'm saying? It says it's filled with brokenness and darkness, but we believe it's being redeemed through God through God-led intentional and well-informed intervention. After all, if the people of God don't go to the tenderloin, listen to this, who will? Our hyper-local, multifaceted approach to fighting social issues in the tenderloin has been bearing fruit since it first started 30 years ago. And this year is no exception. Beautiful, right? Spiritual vision. Seeing what others miss. Not living in denial, but you take the spiritual realm out of your vision, you're not seeing clearly. And it's one thing to have that with life and the section of the city. It's a whole other thing to have that with your eternity. And thinking your whole life, all that matters is cradle to the grave and the acquisition of things. All that leads to the Pharisees. They were the ones that God raised up to give spiritual vision and forward spiritual vision to people. And when this man receives his sight, they shut it down. Look at verse uh, 13. They brought to the Pharisees a man who had been born blind. Now, the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the eyes was the Sabbath. The key word there is made the mud. The Pharisees had rules about the Sabbath, and you were allowed to work on the Sabbath. And part of working, they defined what work was. Pages and pages of uh, descriptions. Part of what working was, was making clay to build a house. Making mud. So all they heard was, how did you receive your sight? Oh, he spit on the ground. I I don't get that one, right? I'm going to ask Jesus, what's with the spit? Um, And he made mud. And his Pharisees said, oh, that's it. Spiritually blind, blind men bluffing. He made mud. He worked on the Sabbath. That can't be from God. Meanwhile, a man is before them who can see, who couldn't see before. And they're sitting there. This is the irony of it, the blindness. They're saying, that's not from God. You're not seeing No, no, he didn't heal you. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied. I wash, now I see. And the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. 
He does not keep the Sabbath. Then, in verse uh, 39 to 41, he makes two comments that are very, very interesting. That give the whole reason Jesus came. Look at verse 39. Are you there? Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world. What does that mean? I think this will be of great benefit to you. Um, Jesus was fixated on two days. The same two days you and I should be fixated on our whole life. Today and that day. We have no guarantees of tomorrow, men and women. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to serve Christ. Today is the day to put your energy in your, in your character development and pursuing Christ. I don't say this as if no one is, but I was thinking this question last night, thinking of my own daughters. Um, who's pursuing Christ these days? Pursuing Him. Exerting energy to following hard after Jesus. Today is that day to do that. I hear so many times, oh, once I make my money and once I retire, then I'll give to the church or then I'll do this. Then I'll give to my family the time they deserve. Then as if, I want to go, you have, do you want me to pull out the myriad of stories I have of people who never made it to retirement? Today is the day. Jesus said today to that blind man, today's the day you're going to see. Do you have any idea, and I say this uh, to give you encouragement, what God has in store for you today? That's why multiple times in the scripture, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has in store for those who love him. Today. Today. But the second day that Jesus references here that he was fixated on was this thing for judgment. That day. Look, I can tell you all of something with crystal clarity and certainty. Bank your life on this. One day you'll face God. That day. And one day you'll give it an answer to a holy God. What did you do with your sin? There's two options to that answer. You can pay the price yourself or you can take and believe what Jesus did on the cross he received the wrath of God that you deserved. And you can say to God, what I did with my sin, I put it on the cross. And your son took the beating I deserved that day. Jesus was prophetic here. And he's saying, for judgment, for that day, I came into the world. So the blind will see. If you're blind to that, today is your day of salvation. You see that. This blind man said, I believe. Today you say, I believe. Your whole eternity will be different. Your present will be different. You will have a vision that you've never had before. You'll see people different. You'll see uh, your career different. You'll see a perspective completely different. And those who see become blind. Matthew 25, if you're taking notes, Jesus talks about that day. He tells a parable about that day in Matthew 25. And he uses the language of sheep and goats. Sheep and goats. And uh, four times in the parable, the sheep and the goats, the sheep are going to heaven, the goats are going to hell, Four times in the parable, this line keeps getting repeated. When did we see? When did we see? When did we see? See, vision is everything. And on judgment day, on that day, your spiritual vision will be called into account. So will mine. And the question will be asked, did you see Jesus for who he was? Today. And it influences that day. Am I making sense? Okay.
Then he makes a strong statement. You don't think that was strong. Here comes a strong statement, verse 40 to 41. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this, and their pride wells up. They're the blind men bluffing. Jesus is calling them out. What? Are, are we blind too? Jesus says, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you see, you're guilty. If you've never had an experience in your life where your blindness was transformed by Jesus Christ, the Bible teaches you're spiritually blind. I don't say that to judge you because it's not a matter of intelligence. It's not a matter of, uh, of working hard or whatever. It's a matter of grace. What did this man do to get healed of his blindness? Everyone look right here. What did this man do to get healed of his blindness? Nothing. You read the story, John 9. Jesus found him. He couldn't see Jesus. Jesus initiated with him. Jesus prompted the question with him. He only responded to the initiating of Christ. If you find yourself today going, gosh, I I, I might be spiritually blind. I, I think I am. You can respond to Christ today and say, I believe. We're going to have communion when I'm done speaking here. And I promise I'll finish at some point. Um, you can come up as your first act of faith, taking communion, remembering the cross of Christ, and go, I believe. I believe. Now, that's what we learned from the Pharisees. Spiritual blindness. And it's good news because Jesus came by grace to heal us. Thank God. Our sin is what creates the blindness. Jesus heals us. Now, let's meet the man who's healed. And let's learn about the cure. And here's what we learned from the man. You can write this down. It's very simple. You'll probably remember it even if you don't write it down. We can't cure ourselves. We can't. That's why some people are here singing with vigor. And some people are even raising their hand. Because they're like, I've been cured. Thank you. You rescued me. You've had people do good things to you. And what's what's the protocol? We write a thank you note, right? Worship is just thank you to God with our whole lives. Because we can't cure ourselves. What do the religious people do? They kick him out of the temple. That's his reward. They just kick him out. And what does Jesus do? He goes after him. This man's still spiritually blind. He has physical sight, but he's still spiritually blind at this point. We're going to pick it up in verse 35. Are you there? Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? See, he still doesn't even know who Christ is. Who is he, sir? Tell me so I can believe in him. Uh, can I just tell you, um, honestly, that's the heart cry of your neighbors. Um, that's the heart cry of people you rub shoulders with at work. Of some of your family members. We'll muddle it and, and push it down through sin and through uh, being boisterous and, and, and really combative with you. But the heart cry of people that don't know Christ, honestly, if they knew, if they knew about today and that day, they would say to you, tell me about your Jesus, because I want to believe in him. I don't know anyone in their right mind that wants to face that day and face full on the wrath of God. I don't know anybody. Verse 37, Jesus said, you've seen him. I can't wait to talk to this blind guy and ask him, what was it like to see Jesus? You've seen him. In fact, he's the one speaking to you. And the man said, and these are your three words, if you find yourself in a state of spiritual blindness, Lord, I believe. What did this guy have figured out? Very little, frankly, theologically. 
he didn't know a lot about Jesus, just that he was the one who healed him. That he was supernatural. That he was beyond human. He was more than a prophet. He was God. And he said, I just believe in that. And God took him at that place and grew him in his faith from there. You may not have it all figured out. Listen, I've got master's degrees in theology. I don't have it all figured out. I have more questions now than when I first trusted Christ. But I know for sure, as Newton said in that film, I was a great sinner and God is a great savior. Jesus is a great savior, I believe. And you can believe too. And so what does he do? He worships him. Now let me remind you, this takes place outside the temple. At that point, Jesus didn't pick up a guitar and say, let's have a worship service. All right, I'm going to strum the guitar. Kumbaya. He just says, you're great. I love you. Thank you for, for giving me sight. Thank you for doing something internally in me. That's our call. That's our dream. That's our vision to, to see God transform irreligious people into Jesus-centered worshipers and how they drive and how they relate to the community and, and how they see their vocation and relate to their coworkers and, and their parenting and, and, and all of that. It's worship. It's worship. So as we close, here's what I need you to see. Here's what I need you to see. Give me your best for two minutes. Jesus, in coming to the earth and going to the cross, actually plunged himself from heaven and being the object of worship from the whole universe and being in a place of great light, he plunged himself into darkness. And the longer he lived, the closer he got to the cross, he saw something he'd never seen before. And it, it, We'll get there in about five weeks. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he came to the Father and he said, he saw the wrath of God coming for him. Jesus had never known the backhand of his father. He had never known a back comment from his father. And now the wrath of God, not just for one person, but for the whole world is coming his way with his name on it. In the garden, Jesus, seeing it for the first time, says, is there any other way? And now I'm going to interpret this. God says, what do you see, son? What do you see? I see sin. I see separation from you. I see spiritual pain like I've never known in my whole life. I don't know if I'm going to make it to the cross. I think I'm going to die here tonight seeing that. And God said, there's no other way. And so Jesus faced head on seeing the wrath of God. So that you and I would never have to see the wrath of God. We would never face the backhand of a father, spiritually speaking. We would never face his condemnation. Never. We never face his punishment like the Pharisees taught. Why do we get that experience as followers of Christ? Because Jesus saw the wrath of God and went right to it for you and me. Let's pray. And by the way, before we pray, if that doesn't cause you to worship, I got nothing else for you. I don't know what will. Let's pray. What do you see? If you're a follower of Christ, would you invite God to open your eyes 
and help you see this experience differently. We're about to go to communion. Ask God to help you see what took place in the cross differently. Uh, there's an opportunity to, to get involved in something to equip you called Financial Peace University. You can see your finances differently. You can see your marriage differently. What do you see? Your suffering Ask God to put his lens, to use Janet's analogy, his glasses over your eyes. Open my eyes, Lord. I want to see Jesus. If you're not yet a Christian, you're, as I've been talking about that day, the Spirit of God has been calling you and saying, you can be prepared for that day. You don't need to fear that day. Your only response is, Lord, I believe. I don't have it all figured out. This is, take it by faith, but I'm in. If you took my wrath so I wouldn't have to, and you'll give me a new operating system internally, a new perspective, save me. I'm in. God, may you use us as a church to see what others don't. To see this peninsula in a way that no one does outside of you. To see people as we drive and uh, as we go along our way, as we work, as we go to school. May we see what others don't. I'm not asking for things we can do. I'm asking for a divine enablement of a lens to see what you see. And I think it's directly tied to worship. So I pray that we would worship you like never before and lay down our idols. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.